0: Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that, like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is someone who we've been talking to for quite a while about coming on the show. He's a former first-round MLB draft pick who has faced some major league challenges, both on and off of the diamond throughout his baseball career. He's a man who has been extended tremendous mercy in his life and responded to that mercy with steadfast faith. Today, he's a husband and father of six leading a Christ-centered home and he's an interview that I think we will all learn something from. So, without further ado, we want to welcome our guest to the podcast, Mr. Bobby Keppel. Bobby, thank you for joining us this morning. It's great to finally be on here. Yeah, we're excited. I, I've known you for a few years now, and Jim, you've just recently met Bobby, and we've shared. I've shared a few of the stories about how we got connected through a men's retreat and Bobby's been inspirational, and as have you, Jim, and sort of being along beside myself as I have grown and developed in my faith as well. But we really brought you here today, and I know you're a guy that likes to extend a lending hand to everybody else before talking about themselves. But today, we're going to do the awkward thing, and we want you to talk a little bit about yourself, so thanks for jumping in. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit, because I don't know this side of you. What what was your faith journey like growing up? What was the present of the Lord in your family as a child? What was the influence of, of your parents and siblings? Tell All us right. a little bit about that journey.
1: Let's take us back to Chesterfield, Incarnate Word. I grew up in Incarnate Word. I have uh, three sisters, two loving parents, still married. Uh, I believe that's a big part of where I'm at now is just seeing the love of the parents. But I was in what I would say is a typical raising a Catholic family, where you know we we went to Sunday mass. It was pretty much a given. But in reality, they would my parents would admit this. There was little catechesis at the home. The love that was shown is probably as good as it would be. But our our house was a typical home of TV, sports, and then hey, rush and Let's get to mass. We had our pew at Incarnate Word. Typically that recall it was back when it was nine a.m. Mass and that you just did it. I was the altar boy growing up. But a lot of this stuff you did cause I don't know, that's what you're supposed to do. That's where I was at a long long way in. The first exposure I had to kind of making it at my own was a Luke 18 retreat, which if I recall that's through life teen eighth grade. It was a like confirmation retreat. And my sisters were two years ahead. I have two sisters that are older, one that's younger, and they had been through life teen. Their, their summer summer programs and evenings, uh, Life Team Mass at 6 p.m. But I, this is my first time. I'm on the Life Team Retreat, and your first time you get to sit up with the the kids in front. And I went to the Life Night and went through it all. And I was like, man, this was a great weekend, great retreat. And then Steve Algar, I have to give him his props here. I mean, he, he singled me out. He called me by name and said, Bobby Keppel, it's so good to have you here tonight. And I've heard, you know, been watching you. Your sisters wanted you to be here. So good to have you. And when you got your name called, that means something. And that, that triggered my heart to go, man, there's something more here. But really, I was an, a jock. I was an athlete. I played baseball and basketball and soccer. Got into high school, and I was a baseball and basketball player. That's what I did. I, I was varsity four years for baseball, three years in basketball, won two state championships. My life revolved around sports in high school, for sure.
0: Yeah, which can oftentimes get in the way especially in the teenage years of how it is that you are prioritizing your life. And as a competitive golfer, myself growing up, I didn't think of golf as an idol. But reflecting back on it, I certainly do feel as if there was an idolic component to it.
1: Is that how you would classify sports, or did you have was their balance. No, there was zero balance. I mean, that baseball sports was my identity. I mean, when when people saw me they were like, "Oh yeah, that's that's Bobby Keppel." You know, I was a starting point guard, pitcher, kind of a center of attention in two positions. I believe my sisters and my family helped me stay grounded. I, I really wasn't a partying type guy. I, I was so focused on sports. That's where I wanted to be. All my energy was there. I had I had signs above my bed. You know, if you're not practicing now, someone else is out there doing it. The will to win is not as important as the will to prepare to win. These are like quotes that were ingrained in my head in high school. And that's what drove me. Like no one was going to be better than me, which there is an idyllic. You, you put myself on a pedestal there for sports for sure.
0: Yet there is still this life teen that has now ingrained itself a little bit,
1: yeah, or at least gotten your attention, right? So back in high school, life teen was that opportunity to explore these questions you have in your mind in a in a safe environment is what I would I would call that, where other people were doing the same thing. I wasn't sure exactly what I was thinking at times. I was led often. I would go to adoration there and go, what is this? What's going on? But those questions, you could ask them and give honest feedback from people who are leading in front of you. So Life Team was just that opportunity. It was a safe environment. Because in high school, man, you don't really talk to people about God too often. At least I didn't. And that was a, an opportunity to. Seeds were planted for sure. So that when I went off to baseball, drafted right out of high school, went to the New York Mets. I was a first round draft pick. So pretty high level things were going on. I was 17 years old, thrown out into the world. And Life Team gave me just enough seed that was watered that when the world hit me, although I got hit hard, I was able to fall back on something
2: that meant more and a a firm foundation. That's really encouraging, actually. I'd love to hear you say that because having been on the other side of that, having been on the organizational side and you... Are scattering the seeds with the teens or with the youth, you don't always see it take root. And it takes a lot of patience and you you begin to question your effectiveness. And so it's, it's really encouraging. <laughs> I don't know how many of my co-parish workers will hear this, but it's really encouraging to hear that, you know what, later on that does take root and that does impact. Or also the parents who are sitting there watching their kids go off into the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I, I'm also curious about that. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on looking back at your experience growing up. How has that impacted what you do with your own kids? Gotcha.
1: So it's a very powerful reflection for me. I mean, obviously, with six children right now, there, there's not enough time to, to give each kid the the full all star select sport treatment and something that's really been stuck in my head right now that I recently heard obviously my wife sent this to me because she's brilliant but uh, Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross shared this do not accept anything as truth that lacks love and do not accept anything as love that lacks truth one without the other is a destructive lie it's so, bear it repeating do not accept anything as truth that lacks love and do not accept anything as love that lacks truth. One without the other is a destructive lie. When I heard that, my head went straight to sports as a parent. Everyone can hear this and go different directions, but for me, sports, we as parents do such an amazing job of loving our children. And we say, we're going to give our kids so much more than we ever had, and we're going to give them all this exposure. And so out of love, we think we're giving them sports. But what can happen if, if you put sports in front of your faith? The kid's will start to believe that that sport is more important. If you go on these traveling tournaments and you don't make any time for mass, if you are are missing confirmation classes or retreats because you know what, you got that sport and I'm paying two, three thousand dollars, or you know, if they don't go to the sport, then they're not going to get playing time. So why are we even doing this? Those questions, man, are going to be so important. You're sending such a clear message. Your that destructive lie will come out in your kids when they think that sport is your idol or are, are more important. And and that is how I heard that. And when I hear this, I hope and share that we understand sports are there to build community, to build virtue in our children. And if we can't put that as our first, that's, that's the love, that's the truth that you're sharing with sports. If they're a, a professional athlete, if they have that gift inside them, that will come out if it needs to. Uh, that's just something, that's how I look at it. And with yeah. my kids, we're, we're in sports. We're in CYC sports right now. I do have a child right now that at an early age is showing some pretty impressive athletic ability against his peers. And I, I'm open to the idea that he might grow, but I do know he's called to something even greater than professional sports. Yeah, that's
2: awesome. That's a great answer. And I know that's one of those things that I wrestle with and is so widespread in in, in our church. To be honest, is that lack of balance and lack of proper ordering of the things of life? So, I wanted to, I don't want to take away from your story. No, you're But while we were, in, while we were on that point, uh, I, I wanted to make sure that we got there. The
0: Thank thing you. that I think is worthy of bringing up on this point, too, is patience. Because patience, I think, is lacking with many of these parents today and especially you brought up select sports or these traveling teams or going from kind of more of a rec based approach to a highly competitive league so many parents are ready to make this investment in their child and in this investment unfortunately there's sacrifice associated with that investment as well and the sacrifice is uh there are there's obviously many components to it. Not only the energy and the stress that it puts you I mean you're a major league pitcher so you can imagine the stress. I guess Jim and I can imagine the stress. Yeah, you put experienced on it. Yeah. <laughs> your arm. But the fact that these parents are saying let's put everything into this sport, it's hard then to find the energy even to pour into their schoolwork let alone their faith and it gets put off so far, and we talked about sport as an idol as an example earlier, and many of these kids do just get immersed in the fact that I have to do this because somebody is out there working harder or doing better or getting better, and I'm just now like, what? I'm going to go sit in silence and and pray and read scripture? Like, what is that really going to do for me? Right. How is that going to help my
1: game? I, so to, to build on that a little bit more, that love – you need that truth with that. What is that gift for? So yeah, you don't need to be sitting in always in front of a Bible, reading your catechism. You can use your gifts. Just teach when you're loving your kids, teach that what is this gift that you have for? I mean, they need to find, that's gotta be our goal for our children is so they can hear God's voice and what is the call for, the, for their life. Like that's, those words need to come out of our parents' mouths, and out of my mouth to my children. They need to hear that this is my desire for you. It's not just implicit. I'm not going to send this off to a Catholic school to have them teach this to my children. I have to be the first educator of that to my kids, and that requires our lips to move and talk to our children about it. Oh, amen on that right. one. Yeah.
0: So 17 years old, you get drafted in the first okay. round by the New York Mets. Where does that take you? Does that take you to New York? Does that right put to you New in the farm system? I'm, I'm
1: in New York pitching in the big leagues that next month. That's how Get baseball here. works. No. But I actually did go to New York, got to go to a game. It was actually an amazing baseball game. Back in 2000, the Braves and Mets were playing. They were down like 10 runs. It was an amazing comeback game. Mike Piazza hits a walk-off to win the game. That was the day I signed in New York. I was around there like, this is amazing. And then where did I go from there? Kingsport, Tennessee. <laughs> that's where I spent my summer for two and a half months, Kingsport, Tennessee. And I, I got there, and right as I showed up in, in the clubhouse, on comes the Latin bus. I mean, these guys had to be 13 guys from the Dominican Republic, and half my team was there. I learned Spanish pretty quickly, had to deal with men in a locker room. Like, there's a lot of exposure for me as a 17 year old boy. Uh, that's what I was as a 17 year old boy. So, are you a commodity? At this point, oh yeah, you got a number, man. Your number on the back. You're a right-handed pitcher, sinker slider guy. I'm just, I'm one of 65 draft picks that year. I just happen to be the f- one of the first, and yeah, there's a lot of us. What is your mentality? Your mentality then is, and this is, it's preached to you even in baseball. You're your own CEO of your own company. Do the best you can, and if the Mets don't want you, another team's going to hire you. That's basically what you are. So you're trade trade bait at any time. You're taught to give the best effort you have, let the process fall, and if you're good enough, you're going to make it to the big leagues. That's what's preached to you. We hear
0: things, Jim, like you, you're the CEO, the ball's in your hand as a pitcher. It really does scream, hey, you're in charge of this thing. It's because of you and you and you Hmm. and you. And I understand that from an athlete's standpoint. Where's God's hand? <laughs>
1: yeah, we're going to get there right quickly. There. So right there, when you're getting that preached at you, God has become just another periphery item. If anything, my life's too busy. I, I'll get to you, God, when I have time. But right now, I don't have that. i got to focus on my career. So early on in baseball, although there's a lot of time in the outfield to chat and talk and, and have questions, I really didn't even have—it wasn't even Radar. If, if I was doing anything as well, they have FCA, or no, it wasn't FCA, it was called uh, Chapel, and we would do that on uh, Saturdays or Sundays, which was rather anti-Catholic at the time, because basically they had you sign something that said, hey, these 66 books of the Bible are all the truth. I'm like, 66? <laughs> I do recall there's something different on that. And then, you know, you didn't need anything more than your Bible. So some of these questions of like Sola Scriptura, which I knew nothing about but having completely Catholic raised, uh, Sola Fide, I didn't know this stuff. And man, around in baseball, it is not a Catholic environment. So those who are Christian typically are on fire. They have the Holy Spirit, but man, they're missing the fullness, which I've learned. But in the outfield, I would get cornered by these guys. Why do you believe this? Why do you pray to Mary? why do you have to go and talk to a priest for confessed sins? And those questions just for me at the time was like, what an opportunity to learn. And I, my, my friends I had, uh, there's a guy, his name's Mark Hart. He's relatively pro- popular. But back when we were younger, most people didn't know who Mark Hart was. He was just a life teen friend of Steve Allgyer. And I used to call him up and say, Mark, how do I answer this question? And he say, Bobby, just know that you have two thousand years of foundation under your. If you can't figure out the answer, you can look it up. There's someone smarter out there for you. So, but man, it took me a while to get there. We're we're here in two thousands when I was drafted. I wasn't really at that point yet. So
0: I was really wondering if you were going to have to answer those questions in Spanish more than anything. Yeah, no. <laughs> I wish I could do that now. You know, I, I'm reading a book right now, and it's called The Time for God by Jacques Philippe. I don't know yes. if you guys have read this before. I literally was reading this paragraph last night, but he talks, this book is basically about mental prayer. And he's speaking in the book about making time for prayer. And you bring up, I don't have, I don't have time for this. But it, there was a quote that I read that he mentioned, or he, he mentioned this in one of the segments that I was reading, was nobody ever starved because they didn't have time to eat. And I just think there's this point in life, especially as a young man or woman who is now immersed in this environment that, in essence, they have achieved, and it completely puts walls up or puts the blinders on to the reality of what is happening in life. And when we reflect on society as a whole, and whether it's sports or whether it's Music or any of the arts or business or whatever the case might be, we're pushed so hard for achievement and to reach these levels of societally defined success that we lose all track of hey, why are we really here? What is this? What is our purpose here on earth? And what is our purpose when it comes to faith? in in love in service so you're immersed in this environment where you're now then being challenged
1: walk us through the next phase of your journey sure so what you're saying is exactly right the world revolves around me my efforts is what takes me to the next step i've it, that is the world you're you're built in i before facebook before instagram and all this high school it was about your scrapbooks right all all these front covers i was on that built you up. Well, into baseball, we take this. What really the only thing I could imagine God would have to do to me was show me suffering. I had, I needed it at that point to suffer. And in two thousand three, I had my first surgery, or I had an injury. I was on my track to get to the big leagues in two thousand three. I had an injury that derailed that. I was dealing with it for about two years. In 2005 though, it finally came to a head and I had surgery on my shoulder. And man, I was like, what am I gonna do? I'm out for a season, I'm having surgery. I, I flew out to California to see Dr. Yochum, famous uh, shoulder surgeon. And while I was out there, a good old friend, Steve Algar said, hey, you should come down and see this 20th anniversary of Life Team. Mike Sweeney's given a keynote. I know you're in a low port in your career. I, I, I need you to come on down here. And so I had surgery, went to go see him. And I heard Mike speak, He Steve brought me back to meet Mike, and Mike said, you know, whatever happens in your career in baseball, God's got a plan for you, just go for it, God loves you. And it, only Mike Sweeney can do it, just give me a big hug, I never met the guy before, he was just very joy-filled, I mean, I just can remember that. On my way out of there, I happened to be going down an escalator and there's this pretty girl that I had seen two years prior, who's Suzanne, um, a girl I saw when I was in Arizona in 2003. And I said, hey, Suzanne, haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you. And, and just kind of passed and she kind of brushed me off. Well, two months later, after having my surgery, my agent got me a job with the Kansas City Royals. The Mets let me go. So some suffering there, some, hey, it's not going to happen with the Mets. They let me go. The Royals picked me up. And they uh, said you're going out to surprise to rehab, surprise Arizona. That's a tough rehab assignment. By yeah, the way. exactly. Surprise. It's hot in the summer there, guys. It's a dry heat. But so I'm <laughs> at, on my way out to see. Go out to. I was driving out in I think it was June, and went to go see again my friend Steve. When I was there, uh, saying bye to him, telling him where I was going, bump across. The same girl, Suzanne, again. And I said, hey, Suzanne, I'm going out to Arizona. I know you live out there. Maybe we can catch up. I wasn't seeing anybody at the time. And just, she's a pretty girl. And she said, well, that's great, but I'm going to Atlanta. I'm like, okay, I get it, <laughs> man. All right, so, strike two. <laughs> strike two. So I drive out to Arizona. I'm out there for a good month and a half. And this is when your career and your is faced in front of you. When you're rehabbing, I know you hear this a lot. Uh, someone just recently retired because he didn't want to, uh, Luck, right? Andrew Luck. He's like, I don't want to do another year of rehab. Rehab's difficult. I know it's hard to when that's all you know as an athlete, it's a very difficult world to be in. And I was in there, I was alone, and some habits were creeping up that that I dealt with for months before that, and I was alone. I was alone out there in Arizona, and I called up a friend, and my uncle lived out there, and I started to live with him in Chandler, Arizona. And when I was out with him in Chandler, I remembered the church that I was at in 2003, and they said they have a Thursday night young adult mass. And I went to go see that, and I when I was there across the church at St. Timothy's, I see that girl in a green dress, and I'm like, man, I've just seen her three times in four months. I went up to her, and as pathetic as it could sound, I said, Hey, Suzanne, I know I've seen you three times. I need your number. Or, you know, here's my—I I gave her my number. I said, Please, just, just call me. I have no friends. It was pretty pathetic. And lo and behold, she turned around. She says, Hey, do you want to go to dinner? And I said, Well, Sure. You know, love to. I think, and finally, she's seeing nice. the light, and her, her. She's hold on. Let me get my roommate. So I was like, oh man, there's gonna be two of us going together. And and well, like, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on, because it's kind of like a foul tip when she yeah. says yes, let's go to dinner, but I'm going to bring my Your
0: roommate. Friend, so right.
1: technically, you didn't strike out. So exactly. you're still at the plate. I'm at right? the plate. I'm still going. <laughs> And so that's September 15th. I can't forget the date. And we were engaged though, February 16th, shortly after that. So this woman, and we're talking about suffering. I'm trying to get to the suffering. But you got to understand, I'm a a professional athlete. It's hard to deal with suffering. I I don't think, I'm always going to get through it. But these addictions that I had at the time were creeping up. I'm, I'm trying to build on that. So in 2006, we get engaged in February. But back when I was rehabbing, I let's just get it out there. I was I was addicted to online gambling. Uh, first time I went to a casino, I was I can't, I can't remember the age. I was dealing with whatever you want to call depression. Basically, my first time into a casino, I brought five hundred dollars, cashed it out of an ATM card, took five hundred dollars in, and pulled out over fifteen grand blackjack. That's it. Mm-hmm. I was hooked. It was that easy, right? So once you do that one time, you think I can do that anytime.
2: Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button downs, a really nice quarter zip fleece. They're stylish and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion again they're at god's brand all one word dot com check it out. You'll be glad you did
1: so that was always in the back of my head, and that was at a casino. But what happens when the casino is brought to your computer? You can do this any anytime after a game at two in the morning. I'd just pop on there and I would have days where I was up ten grand up twenty grand it was it was just fluctuating it was the high it was Who knows? I mean, the dopamines that were flying, not knowing if today was going to be the day. But anyways, I got hooked on it. I was hooked. So we're taking in, I have this addiction that I, I, when I was at my low points, that's when you would go to that. Well, in my surgery time, when I was struggling and rehabbing, I remember going on and they would allow you in those days to overdraft your accounts. And I remember going, man, if I just doubled down, you know, roulette, whatever I was doing, if you could just double down, I could catch up. And I remember waking up one day with all this red in my account. I, it was over five, six grand that I had overdrafted. And I go, man, what would I do? Called up my agent. I said, man, can you just give me a short-term loan? I got these houses. I get the money out, but I just need to cover it so I don't overdraft. And my agent took care of it. This was in September, right about the time I met Suzanne. When we got engaged in February. You go through the focus test. I don't know if you guys know mm-hmm. the Sure, that sure. Marriage, Man, the yeah. Catholic Church has got their head together with marriage prep. There's a reason you go through this. But when I was going through marriage prep, there's only two questions that Suzanne and I struggled with on our focus test, and they had to deal with money, both of them. When we went to our focus meeting with the, the family, the couple, they kind of looked at us like, man, you guys, you got your stuff figured out. And you only had two questions that were an issue. Didn't even bring them up. If anything, they told us, you should... You, what are you guys doing? You seem to have your stuff figured out. And I, I remember glossing through that going, man, there's something more. Well, that's something more crept back up. I had another fallback or whatever you want to call it, I had an overdraft day. I called my dad, told him, you know, told him about it. He helped bail me out. But my dad, I admitted to him that it was the second time, and he was very frustrated, as most fathers would be. And I remember I found out this months later but he actually talked to Suzanne and said, you should let this guy go. He's never going to change to wow. protect her, right? So, so wait. Yeah, you got to get that clear. So your dad? My dad had, had, I think as a father, did the right thing, courage to tell my fiance. Oh, that's amazing. Like, let
2: this guy go. This I is- have all the admiration in the world for that. I yeah. mean, I think that's an act of love for this young woman. Just to point out, you know what? There's, there is a struggle here. And you need to be walking into this with eyes wide open. And and really it's for your best interest as well. You don't want to have surprises in marriage. Right. I mean, you just know that. And obviously you know that now. But wow, that's yeah.
1: a, that's impressive. So so that happens and I didn't know that he had said that to her, my father, but I told him Susie, so he Hey, it's never gonna happen again. Yeah, it happened once before, we're good. I got this covered. I mean, we're in the we're starting marriage prep. I said it sure, the cat's out of the bag, it won't happen again. Well, lo and behold, we get into the season, and I get called up in May 2006 to the big leagues with the Kansas City Royals. And who am I playing with? Mike Sweeney. If I know yeah, the story's yeah, all yeah. over the board, no, but we got you know, a year late, earlier, I was with him. And I'm playing with him, Mike Sweeney. I'm having a great first month of my career. My first two outings, I, I, I give up one run over three and a third. I did so well in the first two outings that the third outing, like, you're going to be a starter. Actually, one of our starting pitchers got in a fight with a guy in the clubhouse because we were on the Kansas City Royals 2006. Look it up. (laughs) We were not good. All right. So they got in a fight. I got to start my first game out in uh, Seattle. Suzanne surprised me. She was out there with me. Had a great start, six and a third, one run. Still got a loss. I'm mean, going to do the math on that, giving up one.
2: Wow, that's rough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Second
1: start is in Texas. No, in Kansas City against the Texas Rangers. Back in that year, every guy in their lineup was hitting over 300. Again, look it up. It, it was amazing Wait, team. Wait, 2006. 2006, Texas Rangers.
2: Yeah, we faced them in the World Series, right? I believe so. Yes, exactly Wow, well, right. that's right. We no, being the card. No, we, we being the Cardinals. Being the
1: Cardinals. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, we did not. 115, Oh. no. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we didn't have that many losses, but I had a great start. I, I gave up. I had a shutout going into the ninth against that team. I gave up a walk in the first hitter in the ninth inning. Buddy Bell came out, pulled me. We were up two nothing. We ended up losing the game. Go <sighs> figure. All right, oh but that was your homecoming that day with all the people around. Yeah. All right. Fast forward a little bit. Four starts later, I'm in St. Louis just after. Cincinnati, my start in Cincinnati, I gave up a home run to Ken Griffey Jr. His 552nd home run. It was the third home run of the game. Cincinnati's a very difficult place to pitch. A lot of home runs. Oh, yeah. I get to St. Louis, and there's no room for me at the hotel. And you go, something's going on. We show up at the West End across from the park, and I don't have a room. Uh, Like, what's going to happen tomorrow? My first game in St. Louis, this is low point, All right drum drumroll here, but so I get to the park the next day. I get sent out, go back down to AAA. I'm on the worst team in baseball. Confidence is lowest point. Right back into the you face that that dilemma. What? How can I control my life? I was just around guys who were making three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars every two weeks. I saw these paychecks, and I'm going back to a thousand bucks a month in, in AAA. The life was just this roller coaster, right? So I get back there. And again, I fall right back into the trap, get right back into gambling. And on August 8th, 2006, I'll never forget the day, Eight eight oh six, I wake up and I'm 20 grand in the hole. And not only did I try to cover it, I took all the money from our savings from our wedding and basically stole all our money. My fiance, Suzanne, was going to wake up the next morning and see no money in her account. I immediately called. Steve, I said, Steve, I've lost her. So the third time, it's been, you know, seven months. She knows it's done. I'm, it's over. And he just looked at me and said, Everything's gonna be okay. He didn't look at me. He talked to me on the phone. It's three in the morning. It's gonna be okay. And he said, You just need to call her and go see her. So the next day, I get up. I go see my manager. I said, Jersh, I need a day. I fly out to Phoenix. Suzanne picks me up at the airport, and all I remember is she still was wearing. Her engagement ring. I still have hope. She took me straight to the same Adoration Chapel I'd been before at St. Timothy's and was just silent in there. It was silent. It was that silent, that awkward silence. She took me from the Adoration Chapel back to her apartment, got out a yellow pad, and said, Give me everything. I'm tired of your A game. I want to know everything. And I, that moment, one, I, I knew. I had a chance of like just sharing my heart. That's all I, I wasn't worried about. She goes, The wedding's off. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to get married 8806. We're supposed to get married December 16th. We're four months out from our wedding. She goes, The wedding's off. But I want to know you. And little did I know, Steve had talked to her after because Steve worked with Suzanne through Life Teen. Suzanne was a camp director for Life Teen. And that whole summer, while she was running camps, their whole theme was mercy. And I remember her telling Steve, how can I tell these teens and preach mercy to these kids and not take the time to have mercy on Bobby? And the mercy she showed me is we're going to go through this and walk together and see if we're really truly called to the sacrament of matrimony. And that moment, (laughs) it changed my life. I mean, if you think about it, when you're extending mercy like that, from someone that's not your parents, it's not someone that has to do it, that freely gives you that mercy, my life was changed from that moment. From that moment, I've never gambled again, and I was able to see with new eyes. So you gotta know, like, when I'm pre- what when I- when I'm sharing right now, there's a long track record of growth that's happening, because it wasn't overnight that I've become where I'm now, but that was a catalyst, that suffering right there was a catalyst to open my eyes to what God had in store for me.
0: You know, Jim, I'm listening to Bobby talk about this mercy that's been extended. And you think about Suzanne's love for you through and through. And you think about how God extends his hand to his children. And there's nothing that we could have done in the past that causes him not to love us more than we can possibly fathom.
2: I have to, I've been reflecting on this and I have to say, Suzanne was already in this deep relationship with the Lord and she clearly had this life of prayer, of formation. She'd been walking with the Lord a long time and it's because of that, that she could enter into a situation and love the way that the Lord loves. I've not met her And, and yet I see this in your story. And I think that's what, that's sort of the lesson that's popping out in my mind. When we release this, the week prior, we'll have released Tom and Jan's story. And it's the same theme where they enter into this moment of trial. And it's because they've been so faithful and walking with the Lord for so long that they're able to respond to it, in their case, with peace, even with joy in the midst of the of the challenge what she's able to do in your situation is is walk into this trial uh, this this hurt with mercy and with love and i just like that really strikes me as how important for us to walk with the lord now like now is the acceptable time right i mean that's the quote from scripture now is the day of salvation now is the acceptable time this is our moment to be with the Lord, and be transformed by his love into people who can love like that.
0: It has to be now, because if you can imagine this trial that Bobby and Suzanne are facing, and if Suzanne does not have this profound faith, where does that lead your life? And I don't want to speculate, that's not why we're here, but you know that, and I realize you were engaged, getting ready to be married But there are struggles that married couples face all the time, and when Christ is not centered, at least for one, man, it's hard when it's not... It's hard when Christ is centered sometimes in both spouses.
2: Right. The challenges are always there. But the knee-jerk
0: reaction for so many, especially again in today's society, is, you know what? Peace out. I'm out of here. Oh, for sure. And. You were talking very candidly about some of the struggles you were facing. This is, you know, you talk about men and women. When they turn the other way from their spouse, that can take you down some really dark alleys. right? And that's so destructive for them individually. Clearly, it has been on their marriage. If there's children involved, you can see how the toxicity just spills in our society so often without this reverence without this faith, without this love for the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: I'm, I want to come back to the seeds planted, though. You knew how to respond to that offer of mercy. And so there's there's a lot that the Holy Spirit is clearly working in you as well in the situation because of various people, Steve and and even Mike, but through, I think, of their faithfulness, I think of your, your response to their influence, to the work of the Holy Spirit through them. Like so many pieces, God had placed well before you knew that they would be needed. I think that's the beautiful part of the story, is that God had it all in mind, not that you would choose necessarily to go down those dark alleys again, but then look at the witness that you're able to provide today and the influence that you are having i've heard through numerous sources with men that you've shared your story with with obviously with your own kids i mean your influence today is dramatically greater for having gone through this and god placed all the pieces in there for you to shine today i mean it's just god is so good amen that's the that amen. i mean that's the heart of the story it is and there's so many
1: other pieces I, I we got a lot out there, but I, I do have to say it's been gosh I don't even know 13 years you don't look back that's not something I go wow I've, I've been good for 13 years that it's today Lord, I need you today but I'll tell you what another thing my wife has been amazing with is not once has she hung that over me you know what I did for you you know or you know what I did at the beginning and I, I just I, I, I share that just for you wives out there who are dealing with maybe a, a tough a tough husband who's very obstinate and stubborn and you're praying and you're praying, but keep praying, keep showing love and mercy. But never ever. Hey, look what I've done for you. This is what we're called to do. And it should come out of it. That's what Jesus has never said. Look how much I've given you. It's we constantly sacrifice for each other. And she has never once held that over me, which is just continues to show the, the love that she has. That's beautiful. So your marriage is bonded by faith. Without question. Without
0: question. Take us inside the walls of your house, if you can a little bit. You've got six children. Your wife, who you adore, you can just see your face right now and just the deep and profound love that you have for her. Thanks be to God. What is faith like inside of the walls of your family today?
1: I'll tell you the first thing for me. You hear this all the time. It's over and over. So for baseball, when you show up at spring training, it's, hey, every pitcher, you got to pitch inside. I know you get burned in there, but you got to pitch inside. You'll hear that over and over. And then when, you, when you're when you struggling, you go, no, 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 I'll just go with the slider down and away. But pitching inside is what's preached to you. We have to pray. <laughs> we have to pray. We You said it earlier, a time for prayer. When I am not praying, it's not good within the walls of our home. Um, and prayer isn't just opening your bible getting into your quiet place and reading that's very important but prayer is that communication with your spouse just talking with her just like talking having spiritual conversations we have such limited time as men we're talking we talk about disposable income. You hear that? Well, what do you do with your extra money, your disposable income? What are we doing with the little disposable time we have? We have a lot of fixed time. We're working, we're shuttling people around. We're whatever we what are you doing with your disposable time? That would be the question I had to audit my own time. And I I go, really, there's no time for Amazon. There's no time for adult thumb sucking and just watching TV over and over. I did that. I've been down that road. Like there is no time for that. I need to pray. So within my home, I mean, our TV. We have a TV in the basement. We'll watch. We'll watch family movies when we need to. But we try to create an environment where there's conversation. There's life. There's constantly drawing on our walls. I mean, they don't have device. We don't have devices in our home. I mean, I, I know we're crazy, but there's no iPads. Our kids are not getting them either. I'll say that loud and emphatic. Chaley, you're not getting one. So, I mean. It, We need to be able to have fun with our children. Waste your disposable time with your kids at home. That's what I'm trying to do. And my wife is the one that takes me out of my workaholic mode. I mean, I'm now out of baseball. That's a whole other story. But she takes me out of that and reminds me of that true vocation of a husband and father in our home.
2: All right. So, Bobby, what do you recommend to someone so that they can hear God more clearly in their lives? So back to
1: my inside fastball joke story i mean literally you need to pitch inside you need to pray you know you leave the ball out over the middle of the plate and griffey hits a bomb off you the beauty in our faith life is two things one and it's really, it really comes back to confession you have the ability to go back and get another ball here here's another ball go back to confession say you're sorry say sorry to those of you offended but man we have a chance to start again every day it can't be i just screwed up yesterday i can't do this again no get another ball get on the mound and and start again. So uh, that's my only two cents I can give out there really. It's just don't be defeated when you fail again, when you when you open up that computer again, when you waste time on uh, Amazon or Netflix. Sorry, I said Amazon. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But when you're wasting that time there, oh, I'm on just another screw up. No, you can ask for forgiveness right there and start again that moment.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazin' Bush podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazonbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazin' Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless.